630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, good to have you tuning in tonight. Colby Cave Memorial Fund scrimmage for the Oilers tomorrow, 1 o'clock at the downtown community rink. You heard from Colby's widow, Emily Cave, earlier on the show. Very strong, very proud in her media availability over Zoom today. Really interesting. She is going to be leaving each player a, a special gift and a letter in their stalls sometime in the next week. She can't interact with them personally, but she'll get get it to them. She said only Connor McDavid and Dave Tippett know what it is. She said she wouldn't be surprised if some players share it on social media once uh, they get the gift, but it's something to remember Colby and inspire the Oilers as they move into the postseason. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Top of the seventh, Blue Jays leading Tampa Bay 6-3. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. batted a couple minutes ago as we bring in John Shannon. And I got to tell you, John, there, there are some of those players in baseball where if if you have the game on or you're kind of half paying attention, you stop what you're doing to watch him bat. And that's what I did. You know, I was kind of getting ready for you to come on, but I have the TV on over my left shoulder. And I thought, <laughs> I got to watch this at bat. Now he struck out. Vladdy Jr. might have a few that end in strikeouts over the course of his career. So yeah. So the question is, what's the ratio of strikeouts to home runs? Uh, and we have to figure out what that magic number is because you're right. I mean, I think what Vlad does uh, for this ball club is going to be fascinating. By the way, uh, let's let's be honest, Reed. The game in Tampa, you can't tell the difference between an, uh, a building with no fans and the building with fans uh, that night in, at Tropicana Field. So it's okay. Yeah, well, and people have made those cracks about uh, the Florida Panthers and the Arizona Coyotes too, right? Going Not as there. bad as the Trop. I mean, the only yeah, Dick, fair Dick, Vitale's the, Dick Vitale's the only uh, Rays fan we know of, and he sits uh, just outside the uh, outside the visitors' dugout. But that's about it. There's nobody else at uh, at, at Rays games. Notice we don't say Devil Rays anymore. No, they dropped that. Have you been to a game there? I have, I have, and it was a friends and family night. I swear. So is there anything resembling an atmosphere? Uh, well, it's it's all artificial. It's you know it's it's whatever uh, game presentation guys pipe in, and uh, and the, you, know, you you hear everything. You hear the crack of the bat. You hear uh, guys talking. But uh, when there's eight thousand people in the building, you don't you don't really pay attention too much to what's around you. You're, you're able to actually pay attention to the game. Uh, what was it, 09 or 08? They lost the World Series to the Phillies. They had a pretty good team that year, and we're, and we're getting some fans. But, yeah, they've, they've had a bit of a struggle there. Vladdy Jr. It's just uh, an ugly ball. It's just an ugly ballpark in, in, in the wrong part of town. That's, it's a classic case of why did we build this year? <laughs> and everybody thought it would change the demographic in, uh, in St. Petersburg, and nobody wants to drive across the causeway or drive to St. Pete to go to the games. Vladdy Jr. last year played 123 games, had 15 home runs and 91 strikeouts. So it was a six to one ratio strikeouts okay. to home runs. There right. you go. All right. So if we can, if he could manage in the 60 games uh, a five to one ratio, then then it's going to be a good year. John Shatter joining us at Inside Sports. What do you think of the Kraken? I, the name's a little awkward for me. I'll have to get used to it. But I, I love the logo and I like the jerseys. <clears throat> oh, I think. I think what they did with the sweater and with the with the insignia and the and the uh, uh, the, the secondary logo was fantastic. Anybody that's been to Seattle knows that the, the the trademark of the city is the the famous Space Needle that was there for the World's Fair in '62, and 
for them to put the needle at the top of the anchor, I think, on their shoulder is just what a magnificent stroke of genius when it comes to what they had to do. I, I, I don't mind Kraken. I mean, let's face it, though, Reed. I, I'm of the vintage that there used to be a trivia question. Name all the teams in sports that didn't end in S. And there used to be three. The Boston Red Sox, the Chicago White Sox, and at that point, the New Orleans Jazz. That was oh, it. Oh, wow. Everybody else ended with an S. Well, between uh, Major League Soccer and what we've seen in other pro sports, the world has changed a ton. Uh, so, I, I, listen, I, I, I like it. I think it's good. I think I think it'll sell merch going crazy. So that's what it's all about. You heard Beth Robertson talk to you about that last night. It's going to be a great seller. Uh, so I, I think from uh, from every everything I read, other than uh, other than a few naysayers, uh, I, I think it's been a huge success. And I think the unveiling was fantastic. Well, and I asked Dave Tippett about it yesterday because he was a senior advisor with the, the Seattle franchise before he became the Oilers coach, and he said he was really educated on the hockey culture there, and we know about the junior team and the past, you know, the Metropolitans and, and those kind of teams, but he he didn't know till he was involved how how much hockey participation there is, yeah. even, you know, just, just beer league or men's or women's or, or minor hockey. So his belief is there's a lot of people that want an NHL team and love the game, and now finally have one. It ha- there is no doubt in my mind that every game uh, at uh, at the arena there in Seattle will be sold out for the next five years. There's no doubt. Now that's if they allow people to sit in the seats by the by then. We uh, by October of 21. We hope that they will. But there's no question in my mind. It's it's such a great sports town. The NHL has always been uh, very proud of the demographic which is a, uh, a higher uh, income, higher tech-savvy uh, level of, uh, of intelligence for their hockey fans. And Seattle fits that mode when you consider that Microsoft and Amazon uh, and a few of the other uh, big businesses that have made an impact in the United States are centered in Seattle. This, to me, is, this is a no-brainer. Uh, the, the games that, that the Oilers play in Seattle will be fun to watch. Ron Francis will be able to put a competitive team on the ice. This, to me, will be as exciting and maybe even more exciting than what we saw out of Vegas a couple of years back. Well, that'd be yeah, that would be amazing if it's even more exciting than, than Vegas's first year. John, the great thing about having you on the show is uh, people start doing my job for me because they always have questions for you on the text slide seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. So I can just throw my notes away, and I'm going to roll with a couple listeners here. Diana says, uh, "Hi, Reed. I heard you mention that the NHL is using thirty-two cameras to broadcast games instead of twenty. Could you ask John Shannon which potential new camera angle he is most excited about? I, I, I might have, we might have sort of touched on this in the past, John. But since we're we have games around the corner, we can definitely revisit this. Thanks, Diana. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't seen the actual final number of cameras for uh, what what goes on at Rogers. I mean, the uh, the production crew and a lot of the technical people showed up uh, yesterday for their first visit. And combine that with what the uh, the process of, uh, of uh, you know the the salvage of following the flood. I suspect that they're going to be very busy for the next three or four days. I don't think you're going to see too many different camera angles. Obviously, whether it's behind the net 
with the robotics, at center ice with the robotics, overhead cameras over the goals, the blue line cameras. Uh, you're, you, you, you're perhaps going to see a few more uh, of those types of, view, of cameras that you would rather not see on a Sportsnet local broadcast. But the NHL is trying to be complete with what they have. There's going to be a reverse camera in every uh, in every arena as well. So I haven't seen the final list, but it sounds like to me that they're trying to make sure that if something happens on the on the ice, that that at some point there is a replay that will make sure that we know what happened there. I got to ask you a little about Steve Mayer, the chief content officer for the NHL. You know, you hear bits and pieces of interviews with him in the past, but now he's here in Edmonton. I got to ask him a question on the Zoom call today, and I've seen extended interviews with him over the last few days. Uh, I don't know how well you know Steve, but, man, he seems like a a ton of energy. And to do the job he does, I I think you have to be one of those people who says, I'm just going to think really big, and that's the end goal, and we're not going to worry about the obstacles. We're going to get to the end goal one way or the other. I, I mean, I think you nailed it, I, and I think I, I know Steve well. Um, and and what I would tell you uh, that is that makes Steve stronger than some of us, and I and I include myself on this list is that uh, Steve doesn't see limitations. Uh, and what Steve does uh, is he thinks outside of the hockey box. Too many of us think and worry about well, what will what will the teams think? What will what will hockey operations think? Uh, what will the conventional and the traditional hockey fans think? Steve doesn't care. Steve wants to make sure that it's entertaining. And it, and and in so many ways, what he does, because he brings a non-hockey, he came from the outside, he came from IMG uh, five years ago, he brings a non-hockey attitude uh, to, the, to a world that is very conservative, very traditional. And in many ways, I think in the last five years, he has, more than proved his worth. It, uh, it was one of the best hires that Gary Bettman uh, and Bill Daly ever made uh, in the last 20 years at the NHL. Sorry, John, you cut out a little bit there when you said where, where he worked before, but let, let's expand on that too. What, what, is his, uh, what is his background pre-NHL? Well, he, he came out of the entertainment world. He came out of Hollywood, and uh, he worked for uh, IMG, uh, which is uh, which is uh, multifaceted television, television sports, entertainment, uh, and uh, and player representation. Not just not just hockey. Uh, he came out. I, I, I used to joke. He come, he came out of Hollywood, you know. And, and so many things that we we do in hockey are far from Hollywood. We don't want to stick out. What Steve wants to do is he wants to entertain, and he's done a magnificent job. And you get a sense of everything that he does when you see. Uh, all-star games, all-star weekends, when you see Stanley Cup finals, for instance, in Nashville with the concerts. I mean, Steve's fingerprints now are, uh, because he's not just in charge of entertainment, he's in charge of events. Steve's fingerprints off the ice are all over this. When you when you have seen what's happened in the last 150 days through the pandemic of how involved the players are and how uh, guys like uh, P.K. Subban, that, those are all fingerprints of, of Steve Mayer. He's, he truly has done a marvelous job. So did, did that job exist before him, or did the NHL decide we need somebody who can elevate this? And he, they invented this job for him. He came in okay. at a time um, where he was assigned one, one particular issue, and then when they realized that he had so many strengths, uh, he became not just a uh, 
the chief entertainment guy. He became the events guy. Uh, and, and, and quite frankly, Reed, he's taken it to another level. And, and, and so, like, he has a great staff that work for him. Because uh, Steve doesn't do it all himself. He has a great staff that work for him. But he has a vision, and, uh, and he, has, uh, he has acceptance. People within the hockey world now trust Steve Mayer. And I think, you know, we're, uh, the hockey world sometimes can be skeptical. And people in, uh, in key places, whether it be presidents of teams or managers, can push back. Well, Steve Mayer has uh, has proved himself, and now gets buy-in from everybody in this league. The interesting thing, Reed, I'll tell you right now, one of the one of the first nights Steve was ever in Edmonton was the night we hosted the uh, uh, the '84 '85 winter uh, extravaganza when they yeah. celebrated the greatest team in the history of the NHL. Steve was there. He flew in to watch it because he wanted to understand how important things like this are to hockey fans in places other than New York, and he loved it. And he had a real sense of how how important and how big Rogers' place was too. So, Steve never stops learning, always stops, always is creative, uh, and has done a marvelous job for the NHL. All right, uh, there's another text here from from Barry who uh, has a little smiley face at the end of it, but but I do think it's kind of worth asking and maybe having a laugh over. Uh, he says, uh, hey, Reed, can you ask John who he was working for when Fox brought in the glowing puck, and did John ever think it would work? <laughs> uh, it's funny you say that. So the, the glowing puck made its debut uh, at the All-Star Game in 1996 in Boston. I was executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada at the time, uh, and... Uh, uh, early on in our all-star meetings in uh, October and November, the, the, the NHL told us they were working with Fox. Uh, and I said, well, why aren't you working with us at hockey night? And they said, well, Fox wants to keep it to themselves. And I believe it or not, I know you find this hard to believe, Reed. I threw a bit of a tantrum in an office in New York one night because I said, you're not respecting Canadians very well. It was the greatest tantrum I, I had when I considered I really didn't want the glowing puck for hockey night in Canada. Uh, we could have skewered the, the, the glowing puck, but we didn't. Um, in the end, the glowing puck, for all of its downfall, probably cost between 6 and $7 million to Fox. It became the best promotional campaign the NHL put on the air in the last 25 years. It really was, as much as it bothered traditionalists, and again, we're talking about the Steve Mayers of the world, it bothered traditionalists. It really was something that would turn the TV channel. People would say, well, I, I want to see that. And for and in many ways, I think that Fox in 1996 and 97 and 98 were great corporate partners for the game of hockey in the NHL. Um, and a lot of it was because of the amount of money they wanted to invest. And that was a guy named David Hill and another guy named Ed Gorn at Fox at the time. They did a really good job for the game. Yeah. John, always great to have you on. Uh, are you good for uh, most, if not all, face-off shows when the Oilers get going on Tuesday? Rob and I always love talking to you. I'm ready, man. Fire away. Right on. And and, and, and again, it makes it easy because people just want to talk to you and they send in questions. So there you go. Appreciate your time, man. Okay, Reed. All the best. That is John Shannon, our NHL insider and longtime broadcasting executive uh, in Canada, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Good stuff. Thanks uh, for the, the questions coming in. And John, with some really good perspective, and let you know about a voice you're going to be hearing a lot of, Steve Mayer with the NHL for the last five years. And he is uh, he is ramping it up for the National Hockey League and doing some incredible stuff inside Rogers Place. we got to call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat.
were talking earlier about dressing rooms at Rogers Place. The Oilers will have no special access to their dressing room. Same with the Leafs in Toronto. Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer earlier today, and he was talking about the league removing home ice advantage. I think the one thing that kind of changed, Bob, that um, right from the beginning when they talked about hubs, it was about how do we make it so that the home team doesn't have any advantage. And I think the only thing that really changed, Bob, was that the East stayed in the East and the West stayed in the West. Like there was a time that they definitely talked about switching the conferences. And and I think at that point in time, they were really overthinking it and eventually they agreed. But, you know, there's no question. The Oilers aren't going to be guaranteed the use of their dressing room, just like the Maple Leafs aren't. There's going to be times when you have to change in some of the auxiliary rooms. Um, it's going to go a lot by uh, standings and stuff like that. Uh, I know at the beginning, people were worried with the home teams have to stay in the bubble. And of course, they were going to have to stay in the bubble. But, you know, this is, it's like, it's a neutral site as much as they could possibly make it and uh, that's the way that this is going to work all right more on the nhl on the hubs on the game presentation and also brody clark always an excellent interview he's with the edmonton stingers the cebl season being played in saint Catharines. what's life been like for brody Jays now up 6-4 in Tampa Bay. We are in the bottom of the eighth with nobody out and the Rays threatening with runners on first and second. They've already cashed in a run this inning. We'll keep you updated on that. Hopefully uh, it concludes by the time Inside Sports signs off at 8 o'clock. Blue Jays will play most of their home games in Buffalo this year. Uh, still to be announced exactly what day they start in Buffalo. It'll either be a week from today or on August 11th. Formula One today announcing that uh, they are not going to be racing in Canada, the United States, Brazil, and Mexico this summer because of the pandemic. You can get more on the Colby Cave Memorial Fund scrimmage and uh, get some uh, really emotional quotes from his widow, Emily Cave, on 630ched.com, globalnews.ca. More on the bubble, the hub, the game presentation on the website too. Victor writing in tonight. He says, I wish I wasn't working during your show so I could play a drinking game. Drink every time you or a guest says bubble. Can't stop picturing Jacques from Finding Nemo decontaminating players entering the bubble, LOL, or bubbles being fascinated every time he sees the bubbles. That is from Victor. So Victor Kellen wants to play a drinking game Mm. every time somebody says bubble. So, for example, if I say bubble, Mm. you say bubble, a guest says bubble, we have bubble in a clip, Victor would have to take some sort of a drink. Now, he could just track all this and then do it when he gets home. You know, he could have a bubble count, some sort of a bubble counter, a bubble tally, Mm -hmm. and then if for every time he heard bubble and he added it to his bubble tally, he would get to have a drink when he got home, even though he's working. Do you see what I'm seeing with the, the bubble tally and the bubble count there, Kellen? Yeah, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. <laughs> uh, Victor, thanks for uh, listening while you are at work. 
Hope you had a good week and you're having a good Friday night. Now, I got to admit here, I have seen Finding Nemo not enough to get the re- – who's Jacques from Finding Nemo? I haven't seen that movie in a long time, so I couldn't tell you. And uh, I, I, I know who Bubbles is, so I got to admit, I never watch Trailer Park Boys. I know whenever I post a picture of myself on social media, I always get people um, telling me that I look like like Bubbles. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, okay, like I, I don't know enough. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's the Wilkie face. The Wilkie face is very similar ish to the bubbles character itself. But Jacques is a French accented shrimp in finding Nemo and finding Dory. There oh, cool. you go. He is a shrimp. I see some pictures of him. All right. Well, cool. he looks, he looks like he'd be delicious in butter. Is that awful to say? Maybe served with some sudsy bubbles. Victor, thanks a lot for listening tonight. 780-496-0063. In terms of Edmonton getting the games, they really had to push for it. They, they, I don't know if they necessarily went in as an underdog, but they, they didn't go in as a favorite. We've talked earlier in the show about the perception of Edmonton. Okay, it's not as big as some other cities, but we have the new rink. We have a lot of uh, energy around the hockey team. We have a lot of hardworking people with the city, with the province, and the Oilers Entertainment Group. And Gary Bettman today said the owner himself, Daryl Cates, really got involved. And it starts at the top with Daryl Cates. Daryl probably lobbied me harder than any other owner who was interested in hosting a hub. And that is not an exaggeration because there were multiple emails, multiple texts, and multiple phone calls every single day until we announced we were coming to Edmonton. And you know what? The best thing I can say is he was right because with everything that's been going on in North America, he said, this is a place where not only we have the infrastructure with the great arena, Not only is this a city that will do everything in a province that will do everything that needs to be done to make this event a success, uh, this is a place where you'll be safe. Uh, And when you look at what's going on in North America, uh, kudos to the health authorities and government at all levels in terms of what you've been able to accomplish. All right. And so the teams are going to be rolling in. It is uh, the 26th. That's Sunday when the teams will be reporting to Edmonton and Toronto. And I know one concern that I've, I've heard from many of you over the last few weeks, how are they going to keep the team safe? Uh, and we're getting some more of these details with the, the cordoning off downtown and the fencing and, you know, that they will be controlled where they can move and all those kinds of things. And Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's chief medical officer of health, uh, was asked about uh, or was commenting on some key metrics that she's going to watch for as the NHL teams arrive. With respect to the NHL teams arriving, we've had uh, many conversations with both the Oilers group and uh, have been in discussions with the NHL. There are guidance uh, guidance that they have developed for stage four as well as additional guidance for professional sports tournaments that we developed. And so really the key metrics are going to be making sure that that guidance is followed, uh, that we have the ability to ensure that uh, there's the monitoring that those 
those who are coming in are staying within that bubble zone, which is a key part of a success of this particular event. Uh, and so I think the metrics will be, again, watching to see if that guidance is being followed. Uh, we are having conversations with the NHL uh, and the local Oilers group about how test results are going to be reported. Uh, and that, of course, is another metric to follow closely. And so ultimately, I believe that this can be a very safe event and a way of making sure that we're uh, utilizing the infrastructure that we have in Edmonton. Um, but the primary goal is, of course, to keep the public's health safe and protected. And I believe that we will be able to do that. All right. A little bit there from Dr. Dina Hinshaw. 900 person capacity for testing if you if you heard if you missed me mentioning it earlier there will be lanes of testing set up in Ford Hall if you've ever been to a game it's right by the main entrance where you go in those gates that's where the testing lanes are set up daily testing results within 24 hours we had the clip earlier leaving the bubble will absolutely not be tolerated for any players or anybody working with the teams inside Rogers place each team will have a suite and a players lounge the players will be allowed to attend games that they are not playing in. So that'll be interesting, a really uh, tournament feel. You can stick around and watch a game after yours is complete. All right, we're going to call a quick timeout. We're going to go to St. Catharines, Ontario when we get back. The Edmonton Stingers are getting ready for the Canadian Elite Basketball League tournament. A guy who played for the Stingers last year finished an outstanding career with the U of A Golden Bears, Brody Clark, when we get back. Stingers of the Canadian Elite Basketball League will play all of their games in St. Catharines, Ontario. The tournament being held there as they had to refine their season. Brody Clark, ready to go. Brody, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Reed. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. You're always a very well-spoken and thoughtful guest, and I'm sure you have some interesting perspective on what the last few months have been like. For you as an athlete and as, uh, as someone, as, as a university student as well, how many adjustments have you had to make? Can you give us some details there? Oh, man, it's been crazy. I remember um, when it first started to sort of hit the fan, I really didn't know how long anything was going to last. And I was telling my friends, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we'll probably back, be back in classes, like, within a couple weeks. And here we are four months later. Um Obviously, it's a much, much more dire situation than a lot of people uh, thought that it would be. But, you know, for me, the big adjustments have been just not being able to get into, you know, a gym um, or a weight room on a consistent basis so I can stay in game shape. And obviously, nothing really keeps you in game shape like actually playing basketball does. But uh, I've had to find my ways to be a little bit creative and while I was still in Edmonton, that was a lot more difficult, but eventually I went back. My family actually has a uh, place up on Lake Superior in northern Ontario that uh, is on my mom's side of the family and has been in the family for a while. And we've got some free weights up there and, um, you know, a nice long country road to run. We got a hoop outside. So once I got there uh, late April, I was kind of, my days consisted of waking up and just getting my work in. School was done, so... Got my work in when I could, did the yard work, and then just kicked it. I mean, it's kind of hard to find a whole lot more to do than that in these times. But when the CEBL came back and, you know, that was 
super exciting for me and everybody, but that was really the main thing I had to start working towards. Um, and yeah, it was just a cool opportunity to be ready to jump on. No, no. What about with the CEBL and the Stingers? Because clearly the seasons have been up in the air for a lot of leagues. You guys are going to go in a hub city here and play uh, kind of a tournament schedule over a couple of weeks. Uh, were you? It, I mean, was it tough playing the waiting game with the Stingers? Did that affect you looking for other opportunities? What about that? Uh, I mean, it didn't necessarily affect me looking for other opportunities. So I signed with an agent officially uh, in it was early May, and then. Um, I was. We were looking for teams pretty much right off the bat in Europe. Um, so my priority initially was to sign with a team uh, somewhere in Europe and basically make that priority A, although I had already signed on with the Stingers on my own. Um, we, at that time, didn't really think that the CEBL was going to happen. And then when, you know, the ball started to get rolling and they were able to figure out a safe and... Uh, I guess, healthy way for everything to move forward in the CEBL. For me, it was just became a matter of timing because I didn't know when my team in Germany was going to want me out there. Um, and I didn't know, you know, whether there was going to be some overlap or whether I was even going to be able to make it to St. Catharines for the, uh, you know, the hub city here. But in the end, everything worked out. The timing was perfect and um, able to be here now and, uh, I don't fly out to Germany to be with the team I signed with out there until late August. So I get my two seasons, and hopefully I get to stay health and safe, healthy and safe throughout all of it. So tell me about life in St. Catharines. And, I mean, here in, the, in Edmonton, talking about the NHL, we're talking a lot about the bubble. Are you guys pretty, maybe not restricted, but are, are you kind of uh, having to follow a lot of rules and avoid a lot of outside contact? Uh, well, you know, I think the one thing that needs to be, I guess, touched on is that we are the CEBL of Canada. We're not, uh, you know, the NBA or the NHL or these multi-million dollar massive leagues with unbelievable um, resources at their disposal. But uh, they're doing a fantastic job out here keeping everything as safe as possible and keeping us up to date as often as they can uh, with what any any sort of revelations that there are on the medical side of things. But generally how it works for us is that um, everybody showed up here on July 13th and reported to get tested. And once everybody was cleared from tests, uh, a couple players who were tested positive obviously were put back into quarantine um, until Niagara Public Health was able to um, figure out what the source of their um, I guess their virus was and whether they brought it with them from wherever they were coming from or they picked it up while they were here. And uh, in each case, you know, they were solved in the the quickest but also safest way possible. But that being said, we, we've been basically restricted to make sure we spend as much time isolated to a certain degree within our hotel rooms. And um, we are... That being said, allowed to interact with the Niagara region the same way the residents of Niagara are, but it's kind of expected of us that we conduct ourselves um, with a little bit more precaution considering that we are in a bit of a high-risk group considering how much we're going to be interacting with each other over the next month. So, you know, you just 
you make sure you wash your hands every opportunity you get. Anytime you walk past a hand sanitizing station, you use it. You're wearing a mask everywhere. Only people with credentials are allowed in and out of the hotel and the venues. They sanitize between every team's practices and weightlifting sessions. And um, there's some incredibly hardworking staff out here at the CEBL. And uh, I don't think they're getting enough credit for the amount of work that they're doing to keep us safe here. But overall, you know, it's it's a very different situation for us, but it's it's been very... Uh, very interesting and enjoyable because uh, being back on the court, uh, there's nothing quite like it, especially after a four-month hiatus. Brody Clark joining us tonight on Inside Sports from the Edmonton Stingers. The preparation for this, you're used to playing a season last year for the Stingers where you played 20 games. You you play over 20 games when you've played in Canada West for the Golden Bears. And now, uh, I mean, wait, you got a round robin and then you jump into single elimination games. Mm -hmm. Does the mindset have to be different? Oh, very different. I think um, the team that's going to, you know, find their chemistry the quickest and um, be able to buy into whatever their systems are on, in, in the shortest period of time and put that into an actual product on the court uh, is probably going to come out on top. We maximum have nine games, and <laughs> that's nothing like a regular season. That be And in addition to that, I mean, we, we've only had, I think, seven or eight days of practice, really, so... Um, there's a very short time span to get acquainted and get ready to to compete. And for most of us, we haven't been able to play basketball at a high level uh, in that way that competitively for four months now. So I know my body after the first three days of training camp was asking me what the hell I was doing. But <laughs> it feels feels a lot better now. I'm starting to get you know back into the swing of things and. Um, you know, I think uh, our coach, Jermaine, is, uh, he's really been harping on the importance of the recovery. I mean, we are the lonely team in uh, the league that has two back-to-backs on our schedule, um, and we have to make the most of all the downtime that we have, making sure that we're taking advantage of our athletic therapists that we have on site here and uh, any other modalities that we have access to in order to make sure that we're always ready to go for the next practice or game or whatever it is. So um, it's I can't tell you the last time I played nine games in a span of like 15 days even. And I just, it's kind of crazy because, um, you know, when you're a kid, you play like five games in a weekend. But this is going to be, I mean, obviously our bodies are different now and the pounding takes its toll but this is going to be a very different experience for a lot of us the turnarounds are all very quick um there's not going to be extensive preparation for teams um i'm really excited to see how it's going to play out tell me a little bit more about the opportunity in uh in germany i know you're i I know you referenced it but uh tell people how a a canadian kid who played at the u of a goes about uh finding a team uh you know where you're going and, and and what you think your role will be yeah, I mean, bit of a lengthy process, but obviously first step was to sign with an agent. And so I ended up signing with a guy who I had been in contact with for uh, a couple of years now on and off. Just uh, he was always checking in on me and making sure, you know, he was keeping his tabs. Um, he's actually based in Spain. So that was sort of a big selling point for me. I wanted to be with somebody who was immersed in and very familiar with the European market, being that that's where I wanted to go play. Um, and then it was just a matter of once I'd signed with him, 
uh, trying to find a, a league and a an organization where my play style would fit with what they are trying to accomplish and with the level of play in that league. Obviously, I have high hopes for myself, and I'm trying to use my opportunity in Germany to, you know, eventually reach higher leagues in Europe if, if it, that's sort of what my future has in, hope, has in store for me. But um, the team I signed with is called the Gladiators in Trier. Um, they're, Trier is like a small city in the southeastern part of, sorry, southwestern part of Germany, uh, about 25 minutes from Luxembourg. They play in the second division in Germany, so... Uh, the top division in Germany is the Bundesliga, which, you know, same as the soccer, but um, it's got to be one of the top 10, 15 leagues in the world. So, you know, for me to, my my goal through this is to hopefully do well in their second league and eventually move on up um, and see what other opportunities are in store for me. But uh, it was interesting. I mean, you, you just got to sort of, you got to go with your gut in a lot of ways. I mean, for me, I immediately after getting the offer from the team, when we got into sort of contract negotiation, first thing was to make sure that I spoke to the coach and the organization and saw if I was in fact, um, you know, comfortable with what I thought I would be getting myself into. And as soon as I decided that I was, it was pretty straightforward process from there. I think job security is super important right now as well, given the current climate. So um, I was really happy that I was able to sign with the team early and feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best with that opportunity, Brody. I I hope you're still going to be able to check in on the show and all the best here in the upcoming CEBL uh, tournament season i guess that's kind of what it is sunday already you guys start you play sunday monday yeah i mean um, we start on sunday there are a couple games tomorrow that i believe are nationally televised so um yeah it's getting kicked off right away well all the best brody thanks for checking in thank you very much i appreciate it brody clark from the edmonton stingers will keep you updated on their progress the blue jays leading 6-4 in the bottom of the ninth Get the latest on the Oilers, 630chet.com, globalnews.ca. Thanks to Dave Campbell, our producer, Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. Thanks to you for listening. My name's Reed. Have a great weekend. Maybe tomorrow I want to settle down. 630Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Chad.